started this morning with a question for you, and that is, what is a mission? If somebody, somebody gives you a mission, what are they giving you? What do you think they do? Something to do? Alright, you guys, all, all you other kids, you agree with Zeke? Mission something to do? Like, I mean, what would be an example of a mission? What do you think, Johnny? A quest, like to do, to do what? Like, give me a quest. What would be a quest for me to do? What do you think, Johnny? Maybe to preach a sermon. That's not how it's easy. What do you think, Solomon? Run around in a circle a hundred thousand times. That would be really, really hard for me. Alright, so here's, here's my next question. Right? Those, those are great examples of what a, what a mission is. My next question, though, is who, who can send you on a mission? Pretty good. God, that's, that's a great example. Who else? What do you think? What do you think, Levi? God? <laughs> so, cheese, carrots. That was awesome. What do you think, The president. If you know what all those people have in common, God, your parents, a chief, and the president. What, what do they all have in common? Pretty They have power over somebody. That is a great, great answer. And that's exactly right, right? In order to send somebody on a mission, you have to have power over them. So Solomon can try to give me the mission of running around a circle 100,000 times. But if I want to, I can just say no, right? But if like, Solomon was my boss, and he said, hey, for your job, you've got to run around in a circle 100,000 times. If I wanted to get my paycheck, I would have to do what Solomon said. Does he have that kind of power. Today, kids, we're talking about the idea of mission as a church and the fact that God can send us on mission because he has power over us. He's in charge of us. He's our king. He's our Lord. He's the one who gets to decide what we can and can't do. And so when he sends us on a mission, it's something that we must do if we want to obey him. So kids, I encourage you to go home and talk to your parents and ask them about what the mission is that God has given us, about what we're called to do, and then ask your parents how they're trying to live on God's mission uh, as their parents. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll begin the rest of the sermon. Father, we thank you that you are a powerful God, that you are an authoritative God, that you are a God who reveals yourself to your people. You haven't left at a, at a loss about what you want us to do. Tell us what you want us to do in your world. I pray this morning that, that we, uh, as a church, talk about what, what mission is and what our mission is and how we as a church want to go about doing that mission. Um, that you would send your Holy Spirit that would help us to understand your word this morning, and that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us to 
choose to apply and obey your word this morning. Pray that as we're reminded again of what our mission is, your disciples, and that you would motivate us by the grace you've shown us in Christ to share the good news with others and be about being disciples.
passage this morning. We're not going to walk through it verse by verse. That's what we do almost every Sunday. But for this series, we're kind of taking a break from that and focus on specific things and focus on specific topics. So today, we're focused on the idea of mission. And the verse that we're focused on is verse 21, where Jesus says, Just as the Father has sent me, I also am sending you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also am sending you. So the first question, which is, why mission? Why is some mission something we want to be about? Why do we have mission? This verse answers that question for us. Jesus answers that question for us. He says, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So his disciples have a mission. We have a mission because the Father sent Jesus. So last week, when we talked about community, we talked about how we are a relational people because we have a relational God. He created us in his image, that he exists in community with the Trinity, and he created us for relationship. He created us to exist in community. It is the same way with mission. Our God is a missional God who created us as a missional people. Now, missional is a word that kind of gets thrown around a lot, not as much as it used to, and so I want to make sure we all understand what that word means. It means, uh, it's, it's, it's an adjective, right? So it, it modifies a noun, and it means that uh, we are sent out with a purpose. If you're missional, it means that you've been sent with a purpose. And that applying that adjective to God, say God is a missional God, maybe seems strange to us. Because, right, as a mission is something that someone who has power over someone gives to someone else, which is how our kids help us define it this morning, is uh, who, who has power over God and send God on a mission? Right? Who's, in, who's in authority over God? The answer is nobody, right? So how can God be sent by someone with a purpose? Well, the answer is he sends himself, which is what Jesus said. He says, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Uh, maybe, right, you're thinking right now, wait a second, this is, this is just one verse. Now, we shouldn't base our whole understanding on mission on one verse, on one thing that Jesus says in one place. First of all, Jesus doesn't just say this in one place. He also says the same exact thing in John 17 when he's praying in front of his disciples. He prays that uh, he thanks God for sending him into the world and recognizes that he has also sent out his disciples in the same way. But also, there's more. And so, in John's Gospel, the word sent, or send, or sins, or sending, is used in 57 verses in John's Gospel. Uh, so, right now, in your head, think about the answers to these two questions. Of those 57 times, how many of those 57 sins are about God, and how many are about us? You get two numbers in your head. 57 verses in John's Gospel talks about somebody being sent. How many are God, and how many are us? Uh, if you would have asked me this question before I looked it up, I probably would have, would have said, you know, maybe 50-50. Right? There's some that apply to God, some that apply to us, and there's probably some like random one, like this person sent someone to some other place, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, but I would have been like 50-50. Uh, maybe 40, 60, 60, And I would have been very, very wrong. 57 times in John's Gospel, 40, um, what's the right number? 42 times 
in John's Gospel, send is used to talk about the Father sending Jesus. 42 out of 57 times to talk about the Father sending Jesus. Uh, three more times, so for a total of 45, let's talk about the Holy Spirit being sent. So 45 out of 57 times to describe John's Gospel, the Father sending the Son, or the Son sending the Spirit. So God is sent in John's Gospel uh, 45 times. That leaves 12 left over. How many of those 12 do you think are about us? The answer is four. And two of those are like flowing out of God being sent. Where Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And as high priest and praise, just as the Father sent me, I sent them. So when John's Gospel talks about us being on mission, half the time it does it, which isn't very often anyway, its focus is on the fact that God was sent first. So the point is that we have a mission. We are missional because God has a mission, because God is missional. Uh, this guy named Alan Hirsch, who's a, a church planner, he's a, a missiologist, which means he studies uh, mission and missions, um, specifically in the context of Christianity. Uh, he said that you know, a lot of times when people talk about, about mission, they say something like, the church has a mission. And you know, I probably have even said something like that thus far in the sermon. Like, we've, we've got a mission. We're, we're on mission. But he says that really the opposite of that is true. That it's the, the, the truth is that the mission has a church. It's, it's not the other way around. Like, we tend to think of mission being like the byproduct of us as a church. Like we gather together as a community and we, you know, work really hard and strive to do things like India and China and other places. And so like mission is out there and it's something that we're doing. But the reality is that we are a byproduct of God's mission. The church exists because God is a missional God because he sent Jesus, because Jesus sent his disciples out and his disciples Maybe the church is something that facilitates God's mission, but, but we're not something that produces mission, the mission produces us. And so the, the question of, of why mission is really why, why not mission, right? The only reason why we exist as a church is because of God's mission. The only reason we exist as a people who have been called by God is because of God's mission. So the, the real question is the second one, which is what is our mission? Jesus kind of answers that question in this verse. He says, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Um, we talked about the kingdom a couple weeks ago. We talked about Matthew 10, where Jesus calls his, his 12 disciples and he sends them out. And as he's sending them out, he tells them to, to proclaim where they go, uh, that they repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he tells them to go out and heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, um, to do the things that they've seen Jesus doing, to say the things that they've heard Jesus saying. So really, Matthew 10 is like an explanation of what Jesus says in John 20, 21. When he says, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you out. Jesus, when he sends out the disciples, he says, go out and do what you've seen me doing. Go out and say what you've heard me saying. So our mission is really Jesus' mission. Now, obviously... There's a big, big difference between us and Jesus, right? We 
are not Jesus. The Father sent Jesus to die on the cross for everyone's sin. That's not my mission. That's not your mission. We're not called to do exactly what Jesus did. We're called to be on a mission that flows out of his mission. And so he explains that to his disciples in the Great Commission. So flip over to Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verses 18 through 20. This is where he kind of fills out more of the earlier commission he gave the disciples in Matthew 10. Grace reading start reading verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain through which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the Great Commission, right, we've, we've heard it before, we've probably heard it taught on loads of times, uh, but today we're going to talk about it again. That's because it's where we get our mission. Where we get the most clear, comprehensive explanation of what we're called to do as Christians by Jesus in the Bible. So he says, uh, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is him saying, I've got the power to send you on mission. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, because he has that authority, we should do what he says. And what he says to do is two things. He gives us two commands. The first one is to go, and the second one is to make disciples. That's it. Go and make disciples. Now, if some of you out there are super nerds, you might know that really, uh, morphologically, there's just one command and one participle. But syntactically, the one participle is a command too. And so there's two commands. Uh, everybody else, be thankful that you're not a super nerd. So there's two commands. Go and uh, make disciples. So the first command, go. Why does he tell them to go? And I think that we can make a, a, a much bigger deal and make it much harder to understand why he tells them to go than we really should. Think about who they're with. So right now, uh, pretend that you're Peter, and you're on the mountain, and you look around at everybody else that's there. Which would be ten other guys and Jesus. Specifically, ten other disciples and Jesus. So Jesus tells them to go and make disciples because where they are, everyone else is a disciple for Jesus. And so they can't make disciples on that mountain. So really what he's saying, the force of what he's saying is he's saying go to where there aren't disciples so that you can do command number two. Go to where disciples aren't so that you can make disciples. So we absolutely want to go. We want to go to China. We want to go to India. We want to go to Spain. We want to go all around the world so that we can make disciples of all nations, but to obey Jesus' command to go, we just have to go to where people are that aren't disciples, which is all over the place. It's in your homes with your kids, it's in your neighborhoods, it's in your workplaces, it's at Walmart, it's at Aldi, it's, it's
is anywhere where there is someone who isn't yet a disciple, that's a place that you can go to make disciples. So the first command to go is just to go be around people who aren't disciples. The second command is to make disciples. That's to take someone who isn't a disciple and cause them to be a disciple. Obviously, we don't cause anybody to be a disciple. The Holy Spirit does that. But we get to participate in that as we make disciples in obedience to Jesus' command. And Jesus, in this passage, gives us two things that are the means of making disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's the first thing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second thing is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So they're to make disciples, and they make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the second thing they do in order to make disciples is they teach them everything that Jesus commanded them. It's only once they've done that that they've actually made a disciple. So, let's think about if we have this checklist. Right? Because we're, we're not supposed to do that with the Bible. We're not supposed to turn the checklist today. We're going to do that. Uh, and so, when can I as a follower of Christ, or when did Peter, as one of his disciples, check the box of fulfilling the Great Commission? Like, when is he done? When has he made a disciple? At what point did he say, I've done what Jesus told me to do? I made a disciple, I baptized him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and I teach him to obey everything that uh, Jesus commanded. And I think that normally, how we would answer that question, if we were going to be, you know, legalists about it, is we would say, well, once he's made a disciple, Reality is that it's much, much bigger than that. So I've got a slide here to try to make this less confusing. So Jesus, first, first line, Jesus tells his 11 disciples, go do these things. Jesus has done what God has called him to do because he's Jesus, and we know that he's perfect, he's without sin. So Jesus is already, like, he can check his box. He gave the great commission to these 11 guys. These 11 guys, uh, second line, they go out and make disciples. They're still not done yet. The reason why they're still not done yet is because part of making disciples is teach them, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded them to do. What did Jesus command them to do? The Great Commission. And so they are not done. They're not finished until they get to the third line, which is Jesus through the 11 disciples, Who's 11 disciples, disciples, who's 11 disciples, disciples, disciples. Not until their disciples are making disciples that they've actually done what Jesus told them to do. And so as we begin to think about what we're called to do in the Great Commission, we need to remember that it's not just about the next generation of disciples. It's about the disciples of the next generation of disciples. So in order to do what Jesus called us to do in order to be on his mission. We need to not just make disciples, but make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Because the reality is, is that all of us are here this morning because Jesus gave the great permission to his disciples, and they went down off that mountain, and they made disciples, and their disciples made disciples, and their disciples made disciples, and their disciples made disciples. And somewhere, way down that line, somebody made us a disciple. 
got trained and taught to do everything that Jesus commanded them to do so that we can train and teach other people to do everything that Jesus commanded us to do. So to do the Great Commission, we need to make disciples who make disciples. Make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. The point is, we can't ever check that box because it's not ever done. And hopefully, this gets us to a place where we say, this is impossible. I can't possibly do this on my own. Because that's the right place to be. Which is why Jesus says next, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Which is why Jesus, in John 20, pours out the Holy Spirit immediately after commission. And this is why Jesus, in Acts 2, tells his disciples to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit so they can be his witnesses to all the places that he tells them to go. We cannot do it on our own. One of the reasons why we want to be about mission as a church is because we want to be doing things that we can't do on our own. Because that puts us in a place where we need God to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And that's all of the Christian life. We receive that and we believe that when we think about salvation, but when we begin to think about what we're called to do and how we're called to obey and how we're called to be on mission and make disciples, we begin to think that at that point we start doing it ourselves. There's no point where we start doing it ourselves. It's all grace because grace changes us and empowers us to walk in obedience. So even our success isn't something that we can take credit for. Our mission is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples on the earth. So here's the question. How do we how do we do this at BC? Here specifically I'm talking about as like an organization. What are ways that we have systems or programs, if we want to use that fast, keywords in place to uh, to make disciples? We do two things. First one is partnerships. We partner with people uh, around the world for the purpose of making disciples in places where we're not. Uh, Jason already talked about the mesh in India. That's one way we as a church are trying to make disciples uh, somewhere else. The mesh is making disciples. Um, the people in this church are making disciples. And we're supporting them and praying for them and partnering with them to do that. Uh, we're also partnered in Asia uh, with Jerry and uh, Sarah and Natalie and Susan and Johnny. We're trying to help them make disciples there through, through uh, supporting them in prayer and sending people to them to do work there uh, that, that we can't do because we're here. Uh, we're also partnered with the Phillips who were in Spain, but now they're back here working with Surge to send people all around the world to make disciples. We want to partner with them because it extends our reach as a church as we try to be about the Great Commission. We, we partner with people to do things that uh, we can't do as individuals. Uh, the second way um, we go about the Great Commission as a church is through missional community. Um, that's where we have groups of people who are trying to reach a specific pocket of we're trying to make disciples somewhere specific. Um, hopefully, you've heard from your original community leaders about a, about a shift we've made in the missional community recently. Um, maybe 
you know, three months ago, a year ago, when we talked about mission community, we talked about places, right? Like our visual community is trying to reach Mark Twain Elementary, or uh, another visual community is trying to reach Center Street or Magnolia, but like it was, it was geographic, and, and we didn't really think about it this way, but we, we thought more about the place than the people. And we're not called to make disciples of a geographic location. Or, or a school, right? A school can become a disciple. A city can become a disciple. People can be made disciples. And so uh, we kind of re-shifted our focus. Um, I don't know if we something. Adjusted our focus so that we're focusing on people and not on places. And so our groups are working, and hopefully your group is working, to come up with a list of people, specific names that we're trying to reach, that we're trying to make disciples of, so that we can be intentional about being about the Great Commission. And so missional communities are a major way we do this as a church, where we are coming together as smaller communities from our big community and trying to be intentional about making disciples, hold one another accountable, pray for one another, working together to make disciples. So if you're at BC and you're not in a missional community, you are missing out on something that we believe God has led us to do as a church to be about the mission we give um, We talked about community last week. Like, if you're not in a missional community, it's going to be hard for you to really connect with people at BC. Because one of the main places we do community, one of the main places we do mission as a church is in these groups. Um, now, if you're here today and you're not in one of those groups, this isn't going to make you feel guilty about that. To say we want to help you find a way to fit in one of those groups. If the groups that we don't have, you don't fit in, we want to talk to you about starting another group that you will fit into. Uh, we want to help you connect, be a part of the community and the mission that we have together as a church. And so if you're outside those bounds right now, please talk to one of the elders and we can help you get inside so that we can work together as a community towards these things. Now, these two things. They are, they are the things we do as, as an organization, as Believer's Church of Cannibal LLC. But hopefully, there are many, 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 many more ways that we, as people who make up the church, are being about the great commission. You go to places that I don't go. You go to your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family reunions, and, and you are hopefully trying to be intentional about making disciples in those places. Uh, I go places that you don't go. I live in my neighborhood. I'm hopefully trying to reach my neighbors with the gospel and the people that are in my family that don't believe the gospel. So uh, as we begin to think about how we do this as individuals who make up the church, uh, there, are, there are two options and two actions for us this morning as we seek to apply the Great Commission. The two options are that most of us, the vast majority of us this morning, fit into one of two groups. Either you're someone who has a lot of non-Christian relationships, people you would call friends who aren't believers, or you're somebody who doesn't have very many. Obviously, some of us would be in between those. But you either have lots of non-Christian friends, or you have very few, or maybe even none. There's two things to do. First of all, let's, let's talk to people who don't have any non-Christian friends. Here's what you need to do. 
We get to walk in obedience that's been purchased for us by his blood. We get to participate in a mission that he's called us in and empowered us to participate in. We don't have to get our nose to the grindstone. We have to believe the gospel and apply it and live it out and share it with others. Take the words up today. Remind yourself of those two truths. Uh, spend some time in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, of the ways in which you've fallen short, and repent of those sins. Uh, begin now praying, either for the specific lost people you have a relationship with, or that God would bring lost people into your life so you can begin praying for them and trying to make disciples of them. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin doing the work in you so that you become serious about this mission that you place us on. So that we as a church can partner together uh, in these things. Father, we thank you that you will see that you sent me here to harm you to save us and to name us and to bring us back into your presence and back into your fellowship. Bring us back into relationships back in the relationship with one another. Thank you that you were looking to the Father, even to the point of that, when it just had Father sent you, you sent us. Pray that you would send your spirit to convict us of the ways in which we fail sin and to receive and apply our forgiveness and purchase from us. Pray that the Spirit would challenge us and motivate us toward that. Pray that we begin to extend our relationships around us. And that you grow us in our intentionality, in our boldness, sharing the gospel with others. Pray that you push us outside of ourselves that's bigger than us, Lord. Force us to depend on you for this Pray now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together and continue the rest of the service in worship. Would you equip us to celebrate?